You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you'd turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. We are back in Hebrews for three more months and then we will finally be done with Hebrews. Um, but uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11 is where we are this week. We're going to be in uh, the first three verses. So Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then we're also going to look at uh, Hebrews 11, verse 6. Uh, so say it with me. You've missed it, haven't you? Right? Say it with me. We're going to know Jesus better. We're going to love Jesus more, and we're going to serve Jesus greater. That's the purpose, the intent of going through this long, sometimes difficult book, is that we want to come out of this study of Hebrews knowing those three things. Now, usually uh, in January, what I do each, each year is uh, preach three Sundays on uh, our church uh, sort of ministry motto or whatever you want to call it, which is glorify, grow, and give. We introduced this a few years ago. Um, we want to, to take those three things and have those things sort of be woven throughout all we do, that we want to glorify God in all we do. We want to grow in our faith and cultivate the faith of others by what we do. And then we want to give. We want to give of ourselves. We want to give of our time, our talents without condition. We want to give the world an image, a picture of what it means to follow Jesus. And so normally, uh, I would spend the first three Sundays of the year refocusing us on those three things. I'm still going to do that. We're just going to do it this year within the confines of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the, the, the complete chapter over the next three weeks at how we can learn from Hebrews 11 to glorify, to grow, and to give uh, in this world that we have. So uh, let's read those verses, if you will, and follow along with me. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, and then we're going to skip over to verse 6, and I'll explain why we're doing that a little bit later. The author writes, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then to verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So we're beginning this week on this position of glorify, the first of the three words in our motto. And we want to talk today about faith, which is the, the, key, uh, the key word, the key theme throughout Hebrews chapter 11. We want to talk today, first of all, about faith that glorifies is faith that trusts. Faith that glorifies God is faith that trusts. And we're going to see that here out of these first three verses. Why do I use the word trust here? I use the word trust here because uh, the, sto the stories throughout chapter 11, the accounts of the people throughout chapter 11, are accounts of people who trusted obediently, not knowing how things were going to turn out, not knowing how God was going to provide, and even sometimes realizing that he, things did not turn out the way they had anticipated. And yet their faith in him was so strong that they stayed obedient and they trusted in him. The author gives us two very important words here, right out of the gate here in verse 1. Now faith 
is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That word assurance and that word conviction. I want to point on those two for just a moment. What does it mean to have assurance? It means to have a support. It means to have a foundation. It means to have a guarantee. When you go and, and use your, uh, your credit card or your debit card, as you probably did once or twice over the last few weeks, uh, and you, you put that thing in the machine, you have an assurance, hopefully, that your card is not going to be declined. Because either your account's in good standing or you've got money in the bank. But there's an assurance piece to that when you do that. And the author's talking here about assurance and faith being the assurance for us. And, and it's, it, you could say it this way, faith is the foundation and the security of our hope. Faith is the foundation and security of our hope. He says it's the assurance of things hoped for. And it's very easy for us to slide here in this verse where we say faith is the assurance of things hoped for and to slide into earthly things that we hope for. It's very easy for us to do that. It does us well to remember the overall theme of Hebrews. And the overall theme of Hebrews is that God has done something in Jesus and is doing something in Jesus that is better than anything that has ever existed before and specifically to this Jewish community that this lesson uh, was written to in this letter. Specifically to them, it was that everything Jesus is and does is superior to the ways they've known in the past. If you've got your Bibles open, you should be able to, maybe on the same page or one page back, look at chapter 10 as an example. And I just want to point us back to chapter 10, verse 19 and following. He wrote there, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. He, he, he is continuing here in 11 what he said there in, in chapter 10. That with a full assurance of faith, we can have faith of the things that are hoped for. But the things that are hoped for are not the earthly things. I'm not suggesting that God never blesses us earthly. I'm not suggesting that God never does anything for us earthly. I'm not suggesting that he has just let us uh, uh, exist here and he's hands off and just whatever happens, happens. I believe God is intricately and intimately involved in this world. But understand that the things that were hoped for were the things that were eternal. The return of Jesus, the coming kingdom, the coming king, the final defeat of sin and evil and death and, and eternity with God. These were the things that they longed for and hoped for the most. Their hope and their longing was not in this world. Their hope and their longing was, were in these things. And the writer is telling us that their faith is the assurance of these things. That while the remainder of the world looks and scoffs and, and decries against us and our beliefs and Christianity and where is your God now, we who are in Christ hold on to the faith and know that we have assurance of the things that are going to come true because his promises have already come true in Jesus Christ. He says the assurance and he says it is the conviction. It is the conviction of things not seen. 
Conviction is just exactly what it sounds like to you. It's proof. It's evidence. It's having that, that feeling that we know that what we can't see is true. How do you prove something that's not seen? Let's talk about the love between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife. You can say you love each other all you want, but it does not get proven until you see demonstrations of that love, does it? You can have all the, the flowery sayings and cards and everything else, but until you start to demonstrate that, that love and have those works of love, that's when that spouse begins to get the conviction of what they cannot see when you say you love them. Or uh, sometimes with our words, we have conviction or we bring conviction of things not seen. Um, if you've ever taken your kids to the beach, and if your trip to the beach is 10 hours in length, somewhere about minute seven they will begin to say are we there yet are we there yet and after you continually over and over and over and say we're getting closer we're getting closer we're getting closer do you think their conviction soars or begins to wane it's not until, depending on where you're going and how you're traveling, it's not until you cross over that last little hill or that last little curve and then they see out the windshield the final destination that they go, oh, okay, now I get it, we're here. And what the author is telling us here is that our faith gives us conviction. It gives us proof. It gives us evidence of things that are not yet seen. We do not yet see how all this is going to turn out. We have a Bible that tells us we can see it in the words, but in our minds, in our, in, in our psyche, sometimes we struggle to see how any of this is going to turn out for good. But our faith gives us the conviction that it is. Even in the sense of being able to see Jesus, it becomes difficult for some people because they say they cannot have faith in, that, in, in him who they cannot see. But scripture even speaks to that. In John's gospel, Thomas was doubting. Unless I see the hands, the, the mark of the nails, place my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand aside, I will never believe. And Jesus appears to him in John chapter 20. He says to, John, uh, to Thomas in verse 27, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answers him, My Lord and my God. But Jesus says, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Faith is not the ability to believe because we see. Faith is the ability to have conviction and believe in spite of seeing because we trust. And I would submit to you today that there's one other evidence of faith that the world should see, and it is the church. It is the church. It is not the church who is shrinking back. It is not the church who is, who is hands thrown up in air and in disgust and worry and, oh my goodness, what's happening? They should be seeing the evidence and the, the, the conviction of the church that's moving forward saying, we've got an answer, we've got a plan, we've got good news. But unfortunately, I don't know that they're seeing that church right now. The church's evidence, the church's conviction of the things that are yet unseen. And notice the result of this faith. Look there at verse 2. 
Let's read verse 1 again to get into it. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, it points back to faith. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. They did not receive their commendation or their approval or their witness or their testimony of God to their lives by their works. That's very important because next week, as we talk about faith that grows the kingdom, we're going to look at all of these people, probably not all of them because I can't get to all of them next week, but a large number of these people that Hebrews 11 talks about who did these incredible works of faith, who stepped out on faith, who journeyed in faith, who even went to their death in faith. And it would be easy for us to come away from Hebrews 11 and going, oh, by their works, God commended them. He, the author just deals with that right out of the gate. By their faith, they received the commendation. By their faith, they received the approval. By their faith, God gave testimony. That word commendation is a word that can also mean that someone gives testimony or witness about you. And so there's a part of this here that is that by their faith, God is testifying of their lives. He is giving witness in the heavens of their faith to the eternally created angels. We don't often think about God giving testimony about us, do we? But that is part of what the author is teaching us here, that by faith we are receiving that commendation, that approval, that testifying. And then he gives an illustration of that faith and trust in verse 3. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. This is the famous ex nihilo argument that God created the world out of nothing. God did not have building blocks to start with. He did not have elements to start with. He created it out of nothing. And the author is writing and says, by faith we believe that. I believe the author was seeing several thousand years ahead of his time being guided by the Holy Spirit here. To a time where everybody wants to know, well, why did this happen? How did this happen? What's the, what's the framework? What's the step? What's the processes? And again, he gives us the answer in the Bible. By faith, we believe that God did it. By faith, we believe God did it. Why is, why is all this important? Why is this faith and this trust so important? Again, consider this overall theme of Hebrews. The Jewish community here is being challenged to leave behind their religion, their tradition, their heritage. They're, they're challenged to leave behind everything that they were comfortable in for the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And you cannot leave behind what you are comfortable in if you don't trust. You cannot leave behind what you are comfortable in if you don't have faith. Uh, we had a, a book that was given to us, a journal book, that uh, when we moved to Arizona back in 2009, and we carried it through with us to Honduras, and, and I, I'm kind of ashamed to say we haven't written in it enough, uh, but the front of it said, life begins at the end of your comfort zone. Because at the end of your comfort zone, that's where faith and trust kick in. At the end of everything you and I think we can do on our own, or at the end of everything that we think we can do collectively, community-wise, at the end of that is where we then have to say, oh boy, oh boy, if I do not have faith, and if I do not have a faith that trusts here in God, I am in big, big trouble. 
And so faith that glorifies is a faith that trusts. Secondly, faith that glorifies is a faith that connects. Faith that glorifies God is a faith that connects us to God. Look again at verse 6, if you will. And without faith, he writes, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Um, we're going to come back to verses 4 and 5 at the close, but I'm intentionally not using 4 and 5 and 7 right now because, again, next week as part of our grow message, we're going to talk about these heroes of the faith and what they've done. But understand here what the author is speaking of is that there's a faith that connects us to God in the following ways. And number one is it's a faith that allows us to please him. There is an emphatic statement in this verse. You want to read it again? I know it's uncomfortable. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. You want to just give the invitation now? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Kent Hughes, in his commentary on Hebrews 11, says this, We cannot have God's smile on our lives without faith. And faith that pleases him points back to the first point that is faith that trusts in him. And it's faith that says to him, I can't see the picture. I can't see the ending. I can't see the provision. I can't see exactly what you're doing or what the end game is. But it is, I have the faith to please you, God, because I'm going to be obedient in the midst of all of it. There is no faith when we have all the answers. There's no need to have faith if you know everything that's going to go on. There's no need to have faith if you know how everything's going to turn out. Story after story after story after story in the Bible is people in situations where if God doesn't come through, they're sunk. And God does that for a purpose, people. He does that for a purpose so that we increase our dependence upon him and take away our dependence upon ourselves. Because only he has the power. Only he has the ability. Only he has the knowledge. Only he has the goods to be able to take us through whatever we are going in through. And that faith must be spirit-led, it must be spirit-lived, and it pleases God. It requires an er a spiritual focus, not an earthly focus. You and I cannot have great faith being led by the flesh. You and I cannot have great faith being led by the X's and O's. Well, if we do this, then this should happen, and this outcome. We, we cannot have great faith that pleases God in that sense and setting. Next Sunday night, we'll have our first quarter uh, business meeting, and I believe David's intent there is to present the budget to you for 2022, and we'll, we'll talk about that, and we'll probably talk about this a little more then. But last year, going into 2021, coming out of COVID 2020, coming out of a year where, where churches were, were crumbling in a lot of ways financially, I challenged him and the budget committee, and I challenged you, let's make a budget that we can't make. Let's set up a budget that doesn't make sense based on the prior year's budgets. And what I told David, and what I think I may have told some of you in private conversations as well, is we do this so that God can provide. 
We do this so that God can show up. And I want to tell you something. From your giving, we got to within $5,000 of that overall budget this year. But can I tell you something else? Through the giving of someone not even in this state, we surpassed it by nearly $13,000. Faith that trusts. Faith that connects. Faith that pleases Him. It's not faith that goes along and says, well, we think we can do this if we've got this. It's faith that says, God, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? In a, in a community where 25,000 people live within a five-mile radius, and really very conservatively, probably 60 to 65% of those people don't know Jesus, yes, in Kentucky. Going into 2022, what do you want us to do? Who do you want us to be? And if our dreams are not big, and if our dreams are not huge, and if our faith is not to point us back to Ephesians 3.20, down to God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, then we might as well close up shop. We might as well just put a bar on the door. Because we're nothing more than a social club. Faith that pleases and faith that connects. And without that kind of faith, it is impossible, he says, to please God. It's a faith that allows us to draw near. Look again there at verse 6. After he gives us that very emphatic statement, he says this, For whoever would draw near to God, that's that connecting piece. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You must believe that he exists and you must believe that he rewards those who seek him. I have two questions for you today out of that. What God do you believe exists? And what reward do you think you should have? And the reason I ask those two questions is because the second question largely impacts the first. For many, God is a grandfatherly type of God, patting us on our head, sneaking us pieces of candy here and there, giving us a wry little wink and a smile when we're a little mischievous. For others, God is like Santa Claus. If we're good enough, he'll give us some good stuff. If we're bad enough, then we're not going to get anything from him. Still for others, God's like a great ATM machine that we pull up to and just spew out a few prayers into the, into the machine and out come some blessings. And we could go on and on with all kinds of examples, but hopefully you get the point. The point is that what you believe God owes you or what you believe how he rewards you will largely determine who you believe he is. And we look at this section here in Hebrews eleven six, and we look at this, whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we like to put this little formula on it, A plus B equals C. Well, if I believe he exists, and if I, if I draw near to him, then he's going to give me something. He's already rewarded us. The word rewards here is, is a, a word that denotes a, a paymaster, someone who gives you something based upon what you have done. And we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the payment of God, is eternal life for those who believe in Christ Jesus. He's already given it to us. He's already rewarded us. And the work being described here in 11 is the work of faith. And I just want to give you a, a smattering of what the Bible says about faith. 
I'll post these on our Facebook page this afternoon so you can read them for yourselves. I'm not going to read the scriptures. I'm just going to give you the references. But here's just a few things I was able to come up with in a very short amount of time this week. By faith, we have received Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, Romans 3, 21 through 26. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God, Romans 5, 1. By faith, we have access into grace that God gives us, Romans 5, 2. By faith, we have spiritual gifts and the power to use them, found in Romans 12, 3 through 8. By faith, we live in Jesus, Galatians 2, 20 and 21. By faith, Jesus dwells in our hearts. Ephesians 3, 14 through 17. And by and through faith, we are being guarded by faith for a fully revealed salvation one day. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Oh, I ask you, what more reward do you want? Will a bigger house really do the deal? Will another car really seal how much God loves you? Will perfect health, a retirement plan, will anything earthly step up to the plate for you and go, oh, now I see that God loves me in Jesus. If those things don't do it, there's nothing on earth he can give you that will. If faith that brings us into grace that brings us into his peace, that brings us into salvation, that brings us into forgiveness of sins, that holds for us a fully revealed salvation yet to come. If by faith those things aren't enough for you, then I need to tell you there's not anything he can do for you. Look back at verses 4 and 5 as we close. I skipped over these intentionally because I wanted to come back and, and present them to you as an understanding of faith on this earth. He writes, By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, though which, or through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he still died, he still speaks. By faith Enoch was taken up. So that he should not see death, and he was not found here on this earth, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended, commended as having pleased God. I believe the author uses these two Old Testament persons with great intention by the Holy Spirit. Because here are two examples of people who had great faith. One killed by his human earthly brother, the other taken up by God not to see death, but both being commended as having great faith. You see, sometimes we want to compare faith and the faith outcomes to other people on earth, don't we? Well, my faith got me this, but their faith got them that. They had faith and this happened for them and, and, and I had faith and it happened completely different for me. Listen to me, please. We don't measure earthly results of faith against other people. We measure the earthly results of faith against the love that God has for us. Faith that glorifies is faith that trusts. Faith that glorifies is faith that connects. And God has already rewarded us for such faith. 
in the fullness of Jesus Christ and all that he brings. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pbcfrankfurt at gmail.com.